In the name of the loving, life-giving, and liberating God, who is Blessed Trinity. Amen. You may be seated. Come with me for a moment and put yourself in the disciples' shoes at the very beginning of Jesus' ministry. You have been called away from your life, whether you were a fisher, a tax collector, an accountant, an engineer, a geologist. Jesus had come into your life and said, put all of that down, leave it behind, follow me. And you did, and it was wonderful. You saw things that you never could have imagined. Blind women who had never seen a, day, a thing a day in their life could suddenly see. Men with twisted limbs were made strong and could walk. Huge crowds were fed, as in the days of your ancestors, as miraculous as manna raining down from heaven. But most of all, Jesus was teaching everyone he met that love was the greatest commandment. Love of neighbor, love of God, even love of your enemy. And he lived it. He reached out and touched lepers, lepers who were not to be touched at all. He made space for women among his disciples to learn and to take part. He ate with tax collectors who did the work of Rome and exploited your people. And he did all of these things. And as he did all of these things, the people he loved changed. And he seemed to love everyone. But one day, just a couple weeks ago, it all went wrong. Jesus was arrested and he was flogged. You had seen people released after such a punishment, and you hoped that that would be the case here. But it wasn't. Jesus was killed. And everything he had done ended. You and the other disciples found a place in the city with a person you trusted, with doors that could be locked, in fear that what had happened to Jesus could happen to you. You thought it couldn't be any worse, but after the Sabbath, Mary rushed into the house crying that Jesus' body was stolen. You ran to the tomb to see what could be done, but Jesus was indeed gone. You and the disciples returned to the house and locked your doors. Mary came back later that day saying that she had seen Jesus alive and well, and you thought her grief-stricken and rambling. But in the evening, while you were still locked in the house, Jesus was suddenly beside you. And it was terrifying and glorious all at the same time. He said, peace be with you. Just as you remember him saying so many times before, and your heart was still and content as you looked in wonder at the wounds in his hands and his feet and saw that he was risen from the dead. Thomas wasn't with you that day, and he wonders if grief hasn't overtaken you all. You can barely believe it yourself. For a whole week, you argue amongst yourselves about what should be done, still shuttered away behind closed doors until Jesus appears again and your heart which had begun to believe that maybe you had been seeing things, 
is again still and calm and sure in the presence of Jesus. He is with you longer this time, but in the end, he still leaves. And this brings us to our passage today. You have seen Jesus risen from the dead on more than one occasion, but your mind fights to believe it, and you barely know what to do with the truth of his resurrection. You've been holed up with the other disciples for too long, not daring to show your face in the streets, and finally, Peter has had enough. He stands up abruptly and declares that he's going fishing, and a few of you go with him. Peter, in desperation, is returning to a thing he knows. You've seen Jesus. He has blessed you, and he has told you when he first, as when he first found you, to follow him. But now he appears and is gone. And you're not sure how to follow a person who isn't with you in the flesh. None of you know quite what to do. Which is why Peter goes back to the work that he does know how to do, the work that makes sense to him. Except you fish all night and catch nothing. Peter is frustrated. You're all getting on each other's nerves. You have traded one enclosed space for another. And to make things worse, now a stranger is yelling at you from the shore to cast your net on the other side of the boat. You tried that 30 minutes ago, but you do it anyway, if only to get the stranger to stop shouting. And the fish swarm into your net. Your boat is nearly sinking. You turn to look back towards the shore because it dawns on you suddenly that the stranger is Jesus. Peter leaps into the water to swim to shore, ever the headstrong one, leaving you and the others behind to bring in the fish. When you finally make it to shore, Jesus is there on the beach, sitting in the early morning light, just as he had before. And you feel almost nervous, as if you don't quite know him anymore. But he invites you to eat. And he blesses the bread and breaks it and gives you the fish. And he is, once again, the person you have always known, seen in the simple acts that you have come to know so well, seen in the breaking of the bread. The disciples had gone, all gone out fishing in an attempt to return to a thing they knew and understood, but they found that they were unable to go back to their old lives. When each of us sees and understands the truth of Jesus in the many ways that truth comes to us throughout our lives, we are fundamentally changed. We can't go back to the way things were. Like the disciples, sometimes we try to go back to what was familiar. It seems to be easiest, even if ultimately unfulfilling. And like the disciples, Jesus comes to us again. Jesus comes to us again in the same way he came to the disciples again. He breaks the bread with them and shares in the communion that he had instituted at the Last Supper, but which he had surely shared with them for all of their time together. This act of sharing a meal 
is a centering act. We celebrate it together every week. We come together to share in the bread and the wine with Jesus. When you come to the Eucharist, you're coming into the presence of God, but you're also coming together with each other. As we sit in the pews together, or make our pilgrimage to receive the bread and wine, or kneel at the altar rail side by side, we are participating together. Jesus drew the disciples together that misty morning over a breakfast of bread and fish and told them in not so many words that they couldn't go back. They couldn't go back to who they were before they knew Jesus. Instead, he told them to move forward. He turns to Peter and asks him three times, do you love me? Jesus asked Peter enough times for the experience to be painful. We know, of course, that Peter had denied that he knew Jesus three times on the eve of his death. In a way, Peter was continuing to deny Jesus by trying to find his place in the past. We all fall into this trap at one time or another. It's easier to tread water where you are than to swim forward into unknown waters. Jesus is asking Peter now, are you ready to move forward? Will you come with me? Do you love me? And Peter, just as we would, responds, yes, yes, of course. And so where does Jesus send him? Feed my lambs, tend my sheep, feed my sheep. Be like me for my people, the person I was and am and will be always for my people, for all people who were or are or will be. Jesus passes his ministry to Peter and the disciples and to us. All the times that the disciples had seen Jesus heal or touch the people who were unseen, untouched, outcast, Jesus asks us to do the same. We're called to reach out to our neighbor, to our enemy, to the people that the world has overlooked. We're called to live a life of radical love, no longer living in the shadows of the present or trying to go back to the paths of the past, but moving forward into new life and new hope toward those who most need mercy, life, and hope. Jesus comes to each of us throughout our lives and gives this mission to us again and again. No matter what you do or who you are or whether you are old or young, how is he calling you right now to shed light and life and hope in your world? Lean into the safety of his love and shed his love abroad. Answer his love with yes and move forward into the life that Jesus is calling you towards. Amen.